For some weeks now, we have been talking about faith mission giving, and uh, so it should be no surprise to you uh, when we uh, focus on that today. I do want to tell you what we're going to do the rest of this service, and that is following the message, you will be given the cards that we have been talking about and given the opportunity to uh, fill them out with uh, what you uh, believe God will provide for your mission giving this next year. Um, we trust that you've worked your way through the devotionals, through uh, the various inserts, through the articles, that you've been praying about it, and so we uh, trust that uh, the vast majority of you will already have a, a number uh, that you and if you're married, your spouse has agreed upon, and you will be given the opportunity to do that following the message today. I do want to mention, too, that uh, before I introduce our speaker, uh, you might have noticed uh, that we had a new violinist in our orchestra today, and that is Chuck Phillips, who we will hear from tonight. That's one of the ways that God has gifted and uh, uh, him, and he has developed that talent to where that's actually a part of how he uh, reaches out to the community where he is, and uh, so we're delighted to have him play with our orchestra, and he'll play uh, later in the service as well. But our speaker today, I've known since uh, 1988. He spoke at my installation at, at uh, the church I served over in Atlanta, uh, Al Baker has uh, been a part of starting six churches in his ministry. I know he looks far too young to uh, have accomplished uh, that much, uh, but he also is married. He has three sons and uh, three grandsons. I'm sure he'd be glad to tell you about uh, any of those later on if you'd like. The reason we ask Al, though, is because of his passion first for the Lord, and for that great call to global missions that uh, he has given to us. He is currently uh, um, pastoring a church that he planted in West Hartford, Connecticut. And I jokingly, only half-jokingly yesterday, said that that is cross-cultural ministry, uh, certainly in ways that it is, uh, him being a, a southern boy, born and bred here in the South. Al, will you come and share God's word? Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'll make comment on it as we go through it. But we believe the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God. It is our only rule of faith and practice. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave... Of their own accord. Verse 12. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Then finally in chapter 9, verse 6, 
Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Let's pray together. O Lord, Thou didst show favor to Thy land. Thou didst restore the captivity of Jacob. Thou didst turn aside from Thy burning anger. Thou didst withdraw Thy fury. Wilt Thou not Thyself revive us again, O Lord, that all Thy people may rejoice in Thee? Show us Thy salvation, O Lord, and grant us Thy salvation. Father, we pray now that your Spirit would come upon this congregation. Holy Spirit, come upon the preacher. We pray that we might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We pray, Father, that you might have our hearts. So we commit this to you, Father. And Father, even though this is a sermon on faith mission giving, There may be some here today who don't know Jesus yet. We pray that even today they might come to know what so many of us know, the glory and the wonder of salvation through Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're living in 60 A.D. in the city of Corinth which is in the Peloponnesus of Greece, the very southern part of Greece. And this was a very strategic city, a crossroads between the China and Persian Silk Road leading to Rome. And the Chinese and Persians would bring their wares to Corinth by ship, pass through Corinth on to Rome. And you, by the grace of God, living in 60 A.D., were formerly pagans, Gentiles according to the flesh. And yet this little man, this little Jewish man, the Apostle Paul, after being beat up in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens, comes down to the Peloponnesus, in Corinth, where you live, begins to preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls upon you, you turn away from your idols and all the depravity and the debauchery that goes along with it. And you have embraced by the grace of God the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now you hear that the Jewish believers in Jerusalem are suffering terribly because of a famine. And you know that Paul's desire as a Jew is to break down that middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile. He preaches about it, he writes about it, and now he wants to give you an opportunity to do something concrete and specific. And so he sends Titus to you at Corinth in order that you might give above and beyond what you already are giving 
in order to help meet the need of the Jewish brethren in Jerusalem who are starving because of a famine. And so Titus comes to your town and he comes to you first and says, this is a particular need we have. I'm wondering if you can give to this need. And you respond by saying, now, Titus, you need to understand that I work for the city government here in Corinth. I have a fixed salary. I'm already tithing to God's work here. I have already made a pledge to help Tychius and his missionary work. I have a child up in Athens in the university. I don't see any way that I can give beyond what I'm doing. I am on a fixed salary. And Titus says, okay, I understand that. But let's say you pray and you ask God to give you a specific amount of money above your tithe, above the pledge that you've made to Tychius, and somehow or another over the next year, God brings it in. Maybe through a raise which you weren't expecting. Maybe through a bonus that you surely are not expecting. If indeed God brings it in, will you give it? If it doesn't come in, you don't have to do a thing. Would you trust God for that? And you respond by saying, well, that's a no-brainer. Of course. Why not? I got nothing to lose. He goes to the next house and and finds that, um, that you're retired. And you say, now listen, I know I should not have kept my money in the commodities market. I know that's too up and down, but I, I didn't put it into Corinthian municipal bonds like I should have. And I didn't put it into Roman T-bills, you know, a little more secure investment. I didn't do that. And so, you know, the commodities market is way down right now. I'm already tithing. I'm already making a pledge. I'm retired. My dividend income is way down. There's no way. All right, I understand. But let's say that the commodities market makes a turnaround this next year and now all of a sudden your stock goes up in value and you now have larger dividends and you pray and God gives you a number of what you can give. If it comes in, will you give it? And again, you say, well, of course, why not? You get the idea. I could go on, but you get the idea. That, dear people is faith, mission, giving. What is faith, mission, giving? Is it biblical? How do we do it? And then fourthly, why should we do it? First of all, what is faith, mission, giving? Well, let me tell you what it's not. Faith, mission, giving is not tithing. You should tithe. I hope you are. If you're not, you should begin. And if you're having trouble with that, see the pastoral staff or an elder who can help you with that. But faith mission giving is not tithing, a tenth of your income, nor is it offerings. Perhaps you give 
offerings once or twice a year to the PCA, a minister's fund or some other, or the women in the church mission fund or whatever the case might be. And that's good, but faith mission giving is not offerings, nor is it pledges that you make. Sometimes you make a pledge to a missionary or you might make a pledge to the building fund when you built this beautiful building a number of years ago. That's good. But faith mission giving is none of these things. These are all good things. Faith mission giving is none of that. Faith mission giving is a promise that you make. Now it's a promise not to the pastor, not to the pastoral staff, not to the session of the church not to the mission committee of your church. It is a promise that you make that if God brings it in, you will funnel it to the specific cause that your church is earmarking this particular thing, and that is for missions. It's a promise that you make to God. Now, if you've looked at your card, you know there's no place on there to sign your name. They're not interested in your name. Nobody's coming after you like they might do in a pledge for a building because obviously they're really counting on that. Nobody's coming after you and saying, where is your faith promise? They don't know who's giving the cards. It's a promise that you make to God. Just yesterday, after speaking to the men, my middle son, who's 30, married has one child about 14 months old. He's an insurance producer. And if you know anything about the insurance industry now, it is exceedingly difficult, highly competitive. He's just starting out in it. He's barely keeping his nose above water, as it were. He's a deacon at Briarwood in Birmingham. He tithes. He's made a pledge to their building fund. And a few weeks ago, they had their World Missions Conference And he made a faith promise of $5,000. He makes about $50,000 a year. He's already tithing. He's already doing all these other things. I'm telling you specifics for a reason. You'll see it in just a second. So he calls me yesterday and says, Emmy, that's his wife, Emmy and I are having a spirited discussion on what to do with this money that we just got. We made our faith promise And the idea was that when we got our insurance, our our income tax return, that we'd give it. It came in the other day just as we expected. Here it is. But Dad, I got a question for you. We want to buy another house. Their house is only two bedrooms. We'd like for you to be able, Mom and you, to stay here with with us when when you come to Birmingham. And the house isn't big enough. You know, I got a estimate the other day on fixing my yard and it would enhance the value of the house right and so then we could buy a bigger house and so forth and it's five thousand dollars now emmy thinks we should give that five thousand dollars we just got to faith promise but i'm kind of thinking maybe we could fix the yard up with it and then maybe trust god later to bring the money what do you think i said alan i don't think you're going to like my answer i think god gave you the money And I think you should give it. And I think you should trust God to provide the other money for your yard. You said you'd give it if it it came in. There it is. He says, I knew you'd say that. And he said, okay. And so he's on his merry way. That's faith promise giving. 
faith mission giving, is it biblical? Well, I read some passages concerning this. And again, I'm giving you the, the hysterical scenario here. And I want you to keep that in mind. These people are going to give to a need above and beyond what they're already doing. And you notice Paul says in verse 3, I testify, he's talking about the Macedonians here, that they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. They gave of their own accord. My son was giving above and beyond his ability. He could easily spend that money on something else. But God gave it, and so he is going to give above and beyond his ability. That's what faith mission giving is. You notice also the, the, the appeal that the Apostle Paul is making when he says in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. He entered this world in his incarnation and his humiliation in order that you who are poor might become rich. And the whole idea here is the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And it's a matter of believing God and trusting God believing that he can provide that particular need. Then I want you to notice this. This is very important. Verse 12. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has. Do you catch that? It's according to what a person has. Now, if you want to make more sacrifices, and you want to cut your two-week vacation down to one, and you want to give the difference to your faith mission giving, that's fine. But the idea here is you give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. So you make the faith mission goal, you make this, this promise to God, and then if He brings it in, then you have it, and then you funnel it onto the church. It's a win-win situation. But then I want you to notice also in chapter 9 a very simple biblical principle that we all know. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Obviously, the analogy here is an agrarian society. If you are a farmer and you have 100 acres of land that you can farm and you sow seed on 10 acres only, you are not going to have a large harvest, right? If you sow over 100 acres, then again, we know that you're dependent upon God. The rains have got to come at the right time. They've got to stay away at the wrong time and so forth. But still... If you sow all 100 acres, you expect a pretty bountiful harvest. If you're a student and you don't study very much, then unless you're remarkably gifted, don't expect real good grades. If you're in business and you're a salesman and you're not going to make sales calls, don't expect a huge year of sales. We understand that, right? If your basketball team or football team doesn't work hard, then they should not expect a bountiful harvest of a lot of wins. It's a very simple, basic principle. And Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, is saying, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Now, what kind of bounty is it? Well, in verse 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. 
you make that goal, you pray, you ask God to bring it in. Each one must do as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly. You know what that means? Grudgingly means, wait a second, I am giving this much money through my tithe, I'm giving this much money through an offering, and now you're asking me to give other monies that might come in to our faith mission goal. Grudgingly would mean, man, what could I do with that money if I didn't give it to the church? That's grudgingly. We're not to give in that way. We're not to give under compulsion. You know, the the elders of the church are not standing over you, beating you over the head, berating you if you don't give. They're not going to do that on faith mission giving. It's not under compulsion. It's not grudgingly. But God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know what the Greek word for, for cheerful is? Hilarious. We give hilariously. My son is giving 20% of his money. His wife is home with their little one-year-old. They live very frugally. He loves giving it away. That's what we're talking about. And then finally, you'll notice, and God is able, this is very important, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. He wants to do great and mighty things through this church. He has done great and mighty things through this church. But I suggest to you, he's only scratching the surface of what can be done in and through you as a church. And he wants to do great and mighty things. And you need to believe that he can provide that money in order to accomplish these great and mighty things in Ukraine, in Haiti, in London, and other places where you have missionaries going. So is it biblical? I say absolutely yes. Now the third question, how do you give in faith mission giving? Well... Dale has alluded to it already. You pray. If you're single, you pray by yourself. If you're married, you pray with your spouse. And you pray, and if you're children, I think you should give as well. You pray and ask God to give you a number. Believe big. Believe big of what God can do. And then you come together as a couple And you agree on what that number is. You write that number down on the card. And then you look for God to bring it in. Again, you might make some sacrifices. You might want to have a garage sale to get rid of your stuff and you give that money to to missions. Uh, You might want to shorten your vacation. You might want to put off buying a car for a couple of years. I don't know. Those are some things you can do. Instead of going out to eat once a week, maybe you cut it down to three times a, a month. Various ways you can do it, but you pray and you say, God, we're trusting that you'll bring this money in, every dime of it, and if you bring it in, we promise we'll give it to missions. Now, my wife and I have been doing this for a number of years, and in February of 2003, when we were at St. Simon's Island, Georgia, and I was pastoring a church there, we told our church that we were leaving to go to Connecticut to plant a church. And our last day of work would be April 30th. We had made a pretty sizable faith promise, and whenever I preach it somewhere or whenever I do a wedding, I always give my honoraria to faith promise. That's just a given. I don't keep any of it. And so we had gained 
a pretty good bit, maybe 30% of our faith promise. But I believed that I wanted to settle that faith promise by April 30th because I was leaving the church at that point. I wanted to have it completely done. We still had a long way to go. A year before, my wife's mother had died. About six months before that, her father had died. And so we had their condo. And my wife has a, a brother and a sister. It was on the market for a year. It had not sold. And then, like in March of 2003, we've got another month to go in the church. I kid you not. Somebody comes to my sister-in-law who lives in the same town where my uh, mother and father-in-law lived when they were alive and said, we would like to rent your mother's condo to the end of the year for eight months and we want to pay $2,000 a month to rent it and we'd like to give you all the money up front. Why would anybody do that? That just doesn't make sense, does it? So they got all the money up front. Our third of it was exactly what we needed to fulfill our faith promise giving to our mission program in our church. I could give you a lot of other examples like that. Is it biblical? Yes, it is. And the churches in our denomination that are giving the most money to missions without fail are churches involved in faith mission giving. But then there's one last question. Why do this? Why be involved in faith mission giving? There's needs here, right? There's needs in the church. This is a tough time economically. A lot of uncertainty in the world. Why now? Why at all? Three reasons. Number one, for the benefit of you and your church. I want to tell you something. Money is a very concrete thing. We all have to have it in this culture to live. And when you trust God to bring in a specific amount of money and He does it, I want to tell you your faith goes through the ceiling. You now believe God can do anything. It is a remarkable faith builder for you in your life and in your family. You will begin to trust God not only for that, then you begin to trust Him for the salvation of family members who don't know Jesus. You begin to trust Him for those marriages you know that are in trouble or those children who've wandered away from the faith. You begin to trust Him for great and mighty things that God might do in through your church here in this community. Your faith will grow. And my experience is that lots of people, most people in the church today are living far below where they ought to be. They just don't trust God. They don't believe Him. Your children don't have any trouble believing God. So it'll increase your faith. But the second thing it'll do for your church is this. My understanding is, is that your budget is $1.4 million. You give about $110,000, something like that, to missions and benevolences. Do you know that most churches I know of give on the average $500 per member? Doesn't sound like much, does it? Now, I realize a member could be three or four members in one family. I understand that. But $500, 
per member. You have almost 700 members in this church. If you met the average toward faith mission giving, your giving to world missions and benevolences would go from $110,000 to $460,000. You would increase it by $350,000. And I know you're sitting here saying, that's impossible. I'm telling you, it's not impossible. It is not impossible. Think about what this couple could do here that are going to the mission field. Think about what Chuck and his wife could do in in seeking to bring along and, and to fulfill the needs of indigenous leaders whom they're training in London. And think about what could be done in Ukraine. And you've already done some wonderful things in Haiti with building that orphanage. It's it's mind-boggling what could be done. This would be of tremendous benefit. This is a wonderful church, but it could become a great and mighty and powerful church with another $350,000 a year. And you see, God will do it, I believe, because that's where His heart is. His heart is the nation's. He wants the nations to know Him. So the first benefit is it benefits and blesses you and your church. Secondly, you believe, don't you, that people need Jesus? Don't you believe that people without Christ die and spend a Christless eternity away from His presence? Isn't that what this church teaches? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Doesn't it break your heart to see people in this community, those in the 1040 window, Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists, many of whom are very sincere, very sincere, but sincerely wrong, going to hell because they've not heard of Jesus. Years ago, my wife and I were in Istanbul, Turkey. What a beautiful city that is. Love Istanbul, Turkey. 2,500 years old is a city. Amazing. And we're looking out over this city, and there is a work of God going on there through the Presbyterian Church, by the way, and yet it's just a pittance. And we were looking, we're at the Perez Palace Hotel, looking out over the city, as far as you can see in every direction, buildings, houses, millions of people. And my heart broke. They know not Jesus. We need to get the gospel to the nations of the world. Let the nations be glad. Let the peoples rejoice, Psalm 67. We want to be involved in faith mission giving because people need the Lord. And then thirdly, because Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are worthy of true praise and adoration. Everybody worships something, some God, some idol, but only the true and living God is worthy of our praise. In June 2004, I had the privilege of going with several other ministers and seminary professors to Tehran, Iran, at the invitation of the Iranian government. And we were to engage in a religious dialogue with Shiite Muslim clerics. 
It's an amazing time. Very, very interesting. And, uh, and, and some wonderful things came out of that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the dialogue, the moderator, who was one of the vice presidents of the country, by the way, stood up and gave us a gift for our being there. He's very gracious and very kind. And he gave us a gift, and with the gift came a card. The card was in Farsi, so I couldn't read it. But I noticed what was on the front of the card. It had a picture of Mohammed. And it had a picture of Moses and Jesus and Buddha. All of the great leaders of all of the great religions of the world. And as I looked at that card, it had Mohammed at the top. It had Jesus looking up at him. In other words, Mohammed is the final prophet. Jesus was okay, but Mohammed is saying that Allah is the true God. Allah, Mohammed is his prophet. Broke my heart. People need Jesus. You see, he who is rich became poor for your sake. He who was eternal immutable, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, became, as it were, a feeble man who was affected by the same calamities and temptations and difficulties that we have. He who was all-sufficient came down to this earth and was utterly dependent as an infant upon his earthly father and mother. That one who was rich in the glories of heaven came down to this earth and had no place to lay his head. He became poor for our sakes that we might become rich. Can we not give to him our all? Can we not trust him in faith, mission, giving? Would you believe God for great and mighty things for your church, for you? for the nations of the world, and for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. We pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts. And if we've not already come up with a number, we pray that you'd do so, that you'd help us to do so even now. And thank you, Father, for what you're teaching us. And Lord, work in our hearts, and may you use this church powerfully. We do make our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.